0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Despite stepped-up mitigation measures, the coronavirus infection rate in Sitka shows no sign of tapering off yet. On Monday, officials reported another six cases in the community. All patients are residents and were experiencing symptoms at the time of testing. And five of the six are children. One is between the ages of zero and nine, and the other four are teenagers. All five of those cases are classified as secondary, meaning they likely were infected by someone known to have the virus, and they were probably infected at home. The new cases push Sitka's total for the pandemic to 176, only 29 of which are considered active. When the Sitka Assembly meets tonight, it will consider an emergency ordinance that limits capacity of restaurants and bars and prohibits large group gatherings. The ordinance is sponsored by members Kevin Knox and Crystal Duncan. It comes a little over a week after Governor Mike Dunleavy issued a 30-day disaster declaration and called for Alaskans to bring down the infection rate. If enacted, Sitka's ordinance would reduce restaurant and bar capacity to 50 percent and require masking and other distancing protocols in those establishments. It would also prohibit large indoor gatherings of more than 50 people. Unlike previous assembly resolutions that strongly encourage mask and travel testing protocols, this ordinance includes enforcement language. It says if people do not comply, the city, quote, may seek an expedited court order. It also says, quote, failure to follow this emergency ordinance is punishable by the maximum fines and penalties permitted by law under the state of Alaska health orders. If the emergency ordinance is approved, it will expire on December 22nd. The Sitka Assembly meets tonight at 6 p.m. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. A magnitude 4.3 earthquake struck about 30 miles southwest of Sitka shortly before 1.30 p.m. on Monday. The earthquake's epicenter was around 15 miles deep. The National Tsunami Warning Center advised that there was no tsunami danger associated with this quake. Natalia Rupert is a seismologist with the Alaska Earthquake Center in Fairbanks. She says the earthquake occurred on the Queen Charlotte Fault. We don't detect smaller earthquakes because it's uh, farther away. Usually it has to be uh, around magnitude 3 so that the uh, sensors on land are able to detect it. But larger earthquakes, of course, are not as common. Uh, Last time we had a significant earthquake on Queen Charlotte Fault, It was in uh, 2013. The earthquake in January 2013 was a magnitude 7.5, located about 70 miles south of Port Alexander. That earthquake triggered a tsunami warning, forcing Sitkins and residents of surrounding communities to evacuate to higher ground. But only minimal sea level shifts were reported. More recently, Sitka and most of coastal Alaska went under a tsunami warning in January 2018 after a 7.9-magnitude earthquake rumbled deep in the Gulf of Alaska. Rupert asks that residents of southeast Alaska who felt rumblings on Monday afternoon report them to the Alaska Earthquake Center Did You Feel It webpage. You can find a link to that on our website, kcaw.org. A fisherman is alive and well after his boat sank beneath him earlier this month. The 42-foot irony went under so quickly that the skipper was unable to radio for help. Instead, he owes his life to an automated signaling device called an EPIRB and some daring work by a helicopter crew from Air Station Sitka. KSTK's Sage Smiley has the story.
1: good.
2: For more than two hours, four members of the U.S. Coast Guard sat in an MH-60 Jayhawk helicopter, battling blistering 50 mile per hour headwinds. We just need to get them out of those. Yeah, yeah, like, quicker the better, and I think. I don't think we got to get them. They were responding to an emergency signal. A boat was sinking in Union Bay.
3: I got a bar of three.
2: They just spotted a lone figure clinging to a piece of debris. Seas were rough in the expanse of water between Ketchikan and Wrangell waves as tall as houses made it difficult to keep eyes on the figure, which was protected by a survival suit.
3: And as we made our approach to the the flashing light, uh, we lost sight of the
2: survivor in the water with our cameras. Coast Guard pilot Lieutenant Justin Neal was in charge of the mission.
3: And so there's a brief moment there where we were in a hover in high winds, seas were 10 to 12 feet, and then trying to relocate the survivor in the water. We knew he was very close to us, but there was a moment there, maybe five minutes, where we were practically searching with our cameras to try to find him
2: again. You
1: guys ready to do this thing? you ready? Yeah, uh, swimmer's ready.
2: Once the crew spotted the man again, Petty Officer Grant Roberts was lowered into the water, where he spent about 20 minutes in the pitch dark trying to reach the man, who was clinging to something in the rolling waves. In a video released by the Coast Guard, Roberts reaches the floating debris. Roberts helps the man into the water and lays behind him in a sort of jack-and-rose-at-the-bow-of-the-Titanic pose.
1: They are in the water in home position. Over. It never occurred to me anybody was going to come and get me.
2: 70-year-old Kurt Brodersen says when he saw his 42-foot boat, named Irony, taking on water, he'd donned his survival suit, planning to abandon ship in the skiff. By the time he got his suit on, the skiff had sunk too.
1: The hatch cover was floating off, and I got on the hatch covering, and, and it was a my plan was to just stay there until it it took me wherever the weather was going to take me and but when i got about halfway across union bay I, I saw this red light in the sky and I, I remember thinking i wonder what those guys are doing out in this miserable conditions and after a while i realized they were looking for me
2: Although Broderson says he hadn't checked the batteries in the rescue beacon in a few years, his EPIRB was still working. That stands for Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon. It can automatically transmit a radio signal that rescuers hone in on. As it went down with the ship on November 1st, the EPIRB started transmitting at precisely 4.46 p.m. A Sitka-based Coast Guard helicopter crew was in the air and on the hunt within half an hour
1: and Survivor are clear of the water, and you're clear back
2: and left. After more than three hours in the Frigid Bay, Broderson was lifted out of the water. Lieutenant Neal has been an Armed Forces pilot for 14 years. He says the high winds, 10 to 12 foot waves, and pitch black made it tough to find someone.
3: This is probably the most challenging Conditions that I've flown in and is absolutely the most challenging rescue that I've been able to prosecute.
2: Broderson had a heart attack and was suffering from hypothermia and cold induced rhabdomyolysis, a kind of muscle death. The veteran mariner isn't sure what went wrong on board. The anchored steel hulled vessel would usually be fine in rough seas.
1: It'll lay over, but then it'll right itself because of the buoyancy of the boat. And this one, it didn't right itself, and I don't know what happened. After a few seconds, I thought, well, I don't know what to do. I'm going to start the engine and put it in gear and get bowing to the weather and the engine wouldn't start. It's the first time it's ever failed to start. Apparently, there was already water filling up the engine room.
2: Broderson says he lost everything in the shipwreck.
1: Which is, in a way, it's sort of liberating because I'm starting fresh with just the clothes I'm wearing.
2: The Coast Guard says there's no trace of the irony. The only sign of the boat was the hatch cover Brodersen had clung to and the EPIRB signal. A friend offered to help him search for the fishing boat that had been his home for decades. He's not interested in salvaging it.
1: I was afraid I'd find it and then I'd have this unholy mess to try to clean up.
2: Brodersen and the Coast Guard say the somewhat miraculous rescue is really thanks to the EPIRB. If you're going out on the water, make sure it's working fresh batteries might save your life. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley.
0: The artwork of a Hlingit artist from Juneau will be featured on a new postage stamp set for distribution next year. KHNS's Henry Ligia spoke with him about the formline design he created for the stamp and the story that inspired it.
3: Rico Hlenant-Worl is the founder of Trickster Company, a design shop based in Juneau that incorporates traditional Northwest Coast art into everything from T-shirts and stickers to skateboard decks and basketballs. He says that an art director for the U.S. Postal Service called him up one day. He
4: had apparently discovered some of uh, Trickster Company's artwork at uh, the National Museum of American Indians gift shop in D.C., and um, that's sort of where our discussion began about making this design happen.
3: World decided to go with a scene from the traditional story of Raven setting free the sun, moon, and stars for his design, and he says he kept a national audience in mind.
4: You know, there's so many depictions of of Raven in the Box of Daylight story. Um, it, it almost felt a little bit like silly to do it again, but I felt like it was an important kind of design or a kind of story that that gives a gateway for people to to learn about clinket culture
3: his design depicts raven escaping through the chimney as he is transforming back into human form it's an exciting and chaotic scene there are stars stuck in his feathers and the sun is in his mouth oral says he believes that the decision to include his artwork on a stamp is part of a wider movement for better representation of native stories
4: i think the usps is sort of in line with with Everyone else trying to figure out how to uh, enable Indigenous people to tell their own stories, and so it's it's just an honor to be able to be uh, a part of that and to represent.
3: According to Sea Alaska Heritage Institute, the Postal Service had planned to unveil the stamp at Celebration 2020, but the event was canceled because of the pandemic. SHI is working with the agency to hold a release ceremony next year. In Haines, I'm Henry Leisha.
0: The state of Alaska now has a scientist at work trying to tackle the big question, what's happening to Alaska salmon once they're in the ocean environment? That task falls to Katie Howard, an Anchorage-based fisheries scientist with the Alaska Department of Fish and Games Division of Commercial Fisheries. She started in this new role in May to address salmon in the marine environment. There are many unknowns about the time salmon spend in the ocean, including migration patterns of many populations. And Howard will be trying to tackle some of those questions around rates of marine survival. Her focus is statewide from the Arctic to the North Pacific. The state agency is partnering on existing juvenile fish research with NOAA fisheries in two parts of the state. One project focuses on pink salmon in southeast, and the other on chinook in the northern Bering Sea. Howard says the hope is to expand those types of studies to other species and other parts of the state, or to find out more from the data already collected. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.
3: This is Morning.